There is no substitute for the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Each weekday on Enjoying the Journey, Scott Pauley leads us in a brief study of Scripture. Today, on the Weekend Pulpit, we are happy to share a full-length Bible message given through Scott's pulpit ministry. These messages were recorded live in a local church or gospel event in recent days. It is our prayer that the message will be a help to you today. Uh, where would you like to go in the Bible tonight? I'm going to let you pick, all right? Where would you like to go in the Bible? All right, we'll go to Ecclesiastes then. What chapter would you like to go to? Okay, well then let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 together. And some of you are just joining us say, what kind of preacher is this? Uh, we have lived the last three days in Ecclesiastes. And uh, let's review class just for a moment. In the Bible study hour on the Lord's Day, we began in Ecclesiastes 5 and learned something about being ready to hear from God. I believe we have heard from God. I want to hear from Him tonight. And then the last three services, we have really just camped in Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. And we've gazed at life. And we've gotten a glimpse of eternity. And we've looked at this world in light of what really matters to the Lord. But now we fast forward to the end of the book. I like, I like the little boy uh, that his mother kept calling for him, and uh, finally she was getting aggravated. You know, when Mama speaks more than once or twice, it's not good. And uh, he had been reading a book, and wait, Mama, just a minute, one more chapter, one more page. And finally he came, a big smile on his face, and she said, Did you finish your book? No. She said, Oh, well, why are you smiling? He said, I turned over and read the last chapter and found out who wins. It all turns out well. When you get to the last chapter, you really get the full picture. In fact, I would argue that interpretationally, you can't even understand Ecclesiastes. You can't even understand the book without Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Because Ecclesiastes 12 is where the preacher finally gets beyond his sermon and gets to the conclusion. How many of you like it when a preacher gets to the conclusion? You know, when preachers say, in conclusion, it usually doesn't mean anything. It usually means 15 more minutes, right? But when this preacher gets to the conclusion, it really is the conclusion. It is the bottom line. So let's look at it together. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it begins this way. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. How many young people are here tonight? Would you raise your hand, all you young people? That's a relative term, isn't it? And young is 10 years younger than you, and old is 10 years older than you. That's the way it works. But he says you start early. And then, beginning in verse number 1, all the way down through verse number 6, he describes what it's like to get old. And I'm not going to study this with you tonight because I want to leave you on an encouraging note. But I, I would challenge you to read and study it. I've been thinking on it in recent days. There's some fascinating descriptions here that I'm starting to live a little bit. And if you read it, you're going to see yourself in it. And then you come to verse number 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So he moves from youth in verse number 1 through life and old age to death in verse number 7. And I think the two key words there are now in verse 1 and, and then in verse 7. We're living now for then. We're living now for the day we're going to meet God face to face. And so we're getting ready for eternity. Then you come to the second half of this chapter, and this is what I want to study with you in this closing meeting. Look at verse 8. 
In fact, let's read verse 8 out loud together. You got it in front of you? Ecclesiastes 12, verse number 8. Ready? Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it? This is really the theme of the book. Now, please listen to this carefully. It's not an empty sermon, but it is a sermon about emptiness. There's a great deal of truth in the book of Ecclesiastes that covers a wide gamut of things in life and for eternity, but it is a sermon that describes how empty it is to live your life apart from God. In fact, it's the way it started. Go back to chapter 1 just a minute, would you please? I hope you'll go back and study this book a little more. Look at Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Look at verse 2. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In other words, it's all emptiness. There's, there's nothing good on this earth apart from God. It, it just brings brokenness in the end. That's what sin does. And yet, go back to Ecclesiastes 12. This is fascinating to me. You would think verse 8 would be the last verse of the book. I mean, when you read the book, you think, well, that's it. How many of you are glad vanity is not the last word? Oh, we keep reading. Look at verse 9 and moreover. Mm, this is good. Look, please. Because the world is bad, you better look to the goodness of God. Look at me just a minute. Because this is all a mess, what it should do is drive you to the God who alone has the answers. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. Take your pen and do this. Would you circle the word still in verse number 9? Oh, I like this. When you have questions, go back to what you know for sure. When the whole thing's shaking around you, look, just go back to what you know for sure. When the world's coming apart at the seams, go back to the foundation that God has laid. Go back to the still, the anchor truths. Look at verse number 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even, and I love this expression, words of truth. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished. Here's the life verse of every student. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And all God's young people said, Amen. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. We've come to the end of the sermon. In fact, we've not only come to the end of the sermon, the end of the book, and the end of the meeting, we've actually come to the whole end of life. This is where we're all going to, every last one of us. We're all getting ready to meet God. In fact, if you look at the last verse, verse number 14, everything ends at God. It all started with God, in the beginning God. Where does it all end, church? It all ends with God. Now look, there's external and internal. He, he judges every work, that's the outward things, and he judges every inward thing, that's the secret thing. He judges the good things and he judges the evil things. But in the end, every one of us will give an account for everything when we stand before Almighty God. 
And isn't it fascinating that in light of that, Solomon ends with one Holy Spirit-inspired emphasis that is, to me, I think one of the most practical and helpful things in the whole Bible. I want you to take a pen and mark something tonight, would you please? Don't feel badly. That was my phone that went off last night while I was preaching. And I don't think I've ever had that happen before, but it did. And I turned it on, and yeah, the Lord's trying to get somebody's attention right now. I want you to know that. I want you to mark in verse number 10. Look at it, please. The preacher sought to find out acceptable. What's the next word, please? Look at it. Acceptable what? Words. And that which was written was upright even, what's the next word? Words of truth. Look at verse number 11. The what? The words of the wise. Would you mark it three times? Words, words, words. Now, this is very important because these words are not man's words. These words are God's words. When I finish preaching tonight, I intend to ask every Christian in this room to make a commitment to something. Everybody. You know, it's a funny thing, but in churches every week of my life, uh, people say to me very often, Preacher, we really need revival. We really need revival. And I've started asking them, what does that mean? Seriously, explain to me, what, what does that look like? I'd like to know. Does that mean we fill the building? I like having a building filled with people like this on a weeknight. It's wonderful. But I would remind you that the devil knows how to get a crowd, so that can't be the measurement. Somebody says, well, we'd have a lot of people saved. Oh, it was glorious to see people saved on Sunday. And I love seeing people saved. But I want you to know that a spiritual awakening among God's people doesn't start with lost people getting saved. It starts with saved people getting right. Judgment begins at the house of God. Stop waiting on lost people to seek God and let us seek the Lord. So that can't be the measurement. Somebody else said, well, I think we'd hear really good sermons. I tell you, preacher, if you could just preach a better sermon next week, we'd really have a revival around here. Nonsense. Because the Spirit of God doesn't move because a man gives a, a good presentation or is a good orator or a good speaker. That's, that's not it at all. Don't miss this. These are not Solomon's words. These are God's words. He's, look, he's not drawing attention to himself. He's pointing all the attention to what God has to say. He's saying, look, in this big tangled mess of vanity and vexation of spirit, there is only one thing that cuts through all the mess in this world, and it is the everlasting word of the living God. I'm going to tell you what I've come to believe. I've come to believe that when real revival comes, people, please don't miss this, get back into the Word of God, and the Word of God gets back into the people. There's a lot of talk today about revival, and I love to see people being stirred about spiritual things and praying and seeking the Lord and repentance. I love all of that, and don't diminish it, but I want you to know there is no such thing as a revival apart from the Word of God. There is no such thing. There is no awakening apart from the words of life. There is no reviving apart from the words of truth. You've got to have the word of God. And tonight, I'm not preaching for this service. I'm preaching tonight for six weeks from now. We've had a sweet, wonderful time together. We had a great meeting together. And the Lord has been among us. But please don't miss this, church. Revival didn't come, and a stirring didn't come because we set aside three or four days on a calendar, and it doesn't leave when the preacher's voice is silent. There's something much better than a revival meeting. It's called a revived life. And the only way to have a revived life is we have to get back to the Word of God. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, devil-defeating, sin-killing Revival of Bible reading. That's what we need. Somebody said, but preacher, that's so simple. Exactly. 
And isn't it fascinating that Solomon, who seemed to know a little bit about everything and a whole lot in this world, came back full circle to the end of the simplicity of this. I'll tell you what we need. We need what God has to say. So let's walk through the passage together, would you please? Because here's what I'm speaking on tonight. I'm speaking tonight on full hearts in an empty world. Now, we know it's an empty world, and we can sit around, look, we can sit around on comfortable church pews in beautiful buildings and cross our arms and fuss at the darkness and talk about all the sinners out yonder and how bleak it is and how dark it is and how awful it is, or we can discover the secret to having our hearts full in a world that is very empty at this moment. You know what I believe? I believe it's actually possible to have a Song of Solomon heart in an Ecclesiastes world. That's what I think. I think it is possible that you could have the, the love and the passion and the joy and the fellowship and the communion with Christ and the overflowing abundance of Almighty God in the midst of a world that is just vanity and vanity and vexation of spirit. How's it happen? It is all connected to the Word of God. So let's walk through it. First of all, we'll ask and answer some questions. Would you write them down and mark them in your Bible? Number one, who gives these words? Well, it's not Solomon. He identifies who it is. He's the preacher. He calls himself here the preacher, the preacher, the preacher. Uh, don't, don't get stuck on the preacher. Don't stop with the preacher. Get to the one who sent the preacher. Get to the one who the preacher represents and speaks for. Look what he says in verse number 11 at the end of the verse. He said they're given by the masters of assemblies. That's an interesting expression. It literally means someone who leads in a service. You know, we have this idea, well, the pastor leads a service, or he has one of the men help lead the service, or the, the, the visiting preacher gets up and he leads this portion of the service. I'm just going to tell you something. If, if we're doing what we ought to do, we're not really leading. None of us are really leading. We're all following because the Lord is always the one doing the leading. He's the orchestra director. You understand that? He's the one who's the master of the assembly. And look at this. Oh, I love this. Which are given from one shepherd. May I ask you, who is the shepherd? Jesus is. I imagine David with Solomon on his knee saying, Son, I'm going to tell you what God did for me out in the shepherd's field. Changed my life. I just out there keeping a bunch of stinking sheep and Suddenly, here I am, helping guide God's precious flock, the children of Israel. Son, I want you to understand, you'll never be a shepherd. Solomon was never a shepherd, but he understood it. And I imagine David, the man for God's own heart, said quickly to his son, Son, listen to me. There is a shepherd that is not some man. There is a shepherd that leads and feeds his own flock, and that's the Lord. He's the one in charge of this. You know what I love? Jesus is both the lamb and the shepherd. That's pretty good, isn't it? You know what it means? It means he's perfection on both sides. Matter of fact, let me just show you something, just for fun. When preachers say for fun, that people get nervous. But go to Revelation just for a second, would you please? Go to Revelation chapter 7. I love this. End of your Bible. Revelation 7, 17. Here's Jesus. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne. So here he is, seen not a shepherd, but as a lamb. Remember the wounded lamb, the final full forever sacrifice for sin? Look at him. He's conquered now. Look at verse 17. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall, and see what this sounds like to you, feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. I don't know about you. I'm looking forward to that day. 
Would you mark in your Bible, he leads them and he feeds them. Do you know who does the leading and the feeding? The Lord does. The lamb is the shepherd. The one who died for us is the one that ministers to us the words of life. This is not about a man. Our American westernized Christianity has made so much of men. We've forgotten who God is. It's not about the mouthpiece. Look, I'm not even really the preacher this week. I just work for the preacher. I'm a delivery boy. That's all I am. Look beyond the preacher. Get beyond your, your, your prejudices. Get beyond your distractions. Get your eyes on the Lord. Get your ears open to the Lord. Get your heart in tune with the Lord. And say to God, you be the shepherd in my life. Oh, Lord, lead me and feed me. Can I tell you what the Word of God does? When you get into the Word of God every day, every day God will give you direction and God will give you sustenance for your soul. He will lead you and he will feed you. People come to church hoping to find some direction. Come on, preacher, you've got to really help me tonight. I want to tell you, it's not the preacher's job to give you direction. It's the preacher's job to point you to the Lord, and the Lord will be the one who will give you the direction. But i got really good news for you. You don't have to wait for Sunday to find direction. You can find direction every day because he leads every day when you open the guidebook. We come to church and we say, oh, I need my soul fed. Well, I hope you get your soul fed at church. You sit under a faithful Bible preacher every Lord's Day, and I thank God for that. But, brother, if the only time you eat is on Sunday, you're going to be a pretty malnourished human being. And I want you to know, if you never feed your soul outside the Lord's Day, you're never going to be a strong Christian. You must come to the shepherd every day and say, lead me and feed me. And God does that through his word. Let's ask and answer a second question. Not only who gives the words, but why the words are so important. Why does God choose to do it this way? Back up to verse number 10. This is powerful. Look at verse 10. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. I want you to mark three things in your Bible in verse 10. This is God's list, not mine. First of all, God uses his word because his words are acceptable. Now, that word acceptable doesn't mean enough to get by. That's the way we use it today. That's acceptable like it's the minimum. No, no, God's word's the maximum. The word acceptable here literally means valuable, delightful. Look, you want to find something valuable? Stop looking at Wall Street. Open the Bible. You want to find something delightful? Turn your phone off and turn the television off and open the words of the living God because I'm going to tell you, there is no riches like the riches found in the eternal word of God. There is no joy like the joy God gives when you get in the word and the word gets into you. It's acceptable. And then look at the second word. Would you mark the word upright? It means equitable, something that literally is right side up. That's what the word means. How many of you know the world's upside down right now? Man, we're living in a messed up world. I mean, people have lost their ever-loving minds. And you look around, you think, has the whole world gone mad? I'm going to tell you why it seems that way. Would you like to know? This is not good English, but it's good theology. Sin gets stupider and stupider all the time. Now, you listen to me for just a moment. I'm going to tell you why that is. Because when you reject light, you get darkness. So what we're living in right now is a world that for so long has rejected truth, it started believing the delusions of the liar from the pit of hell, and you think, man, these people have lost their minds. There is an insanity to sin. Why do you think the prodigal had to come to himself? 
I'm going to tell you how to keep a right mind. You want to know how to keep your mind clean in a dirty world? You want to keep, keep your mind full of peace in a world of chaos? You want to keep order in your thought life in a world where everything seems to be out of control? You better live in this book, my friend, because only it will keep things upright in your life. And there's a third word. Would you mark the word truth? God help us. We need a whole lot of that right now, don't we? It reminds me of Jesus' prayer in John 17, the great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus, where he said to the Father, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is what? Truth. Oh, I love this. Jesus, the living word, was getting ready to leave them. Mm. Look, come on, go, go with me. 2,000 years back in history and halfway around the world, put yourself in Peter and James and John's sandals for just a minute. They're hearing Jesus pray this prayer. Listen to this. Jesus said, I'm leaving you boys. No, no, Lord, don't leave. And he says to the Father, Father, I'm, I'm coming to be with you where you are in the glory. Watch this. But at the very moment the living word was leaving them, what did he pray for them? That the written word would do in them what he had been doing in them for three and a half years. That's amazing. Somebody said, i tell you one thing, if I'd been alive and on earth when Jesus was here, now I would have really been a true follower of Christ. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. If you're not willing to follow the written word, I doubt seriously you'd follow the living word. Because this book is doing the same thing that Christ came to do, and that is to reveal God to us and put truth into us. And I'm going to tell you, in a world full of lies and guile and deceit where you don't know who you believe, you and I need a good, healthy dose of truth that comes from the word of the living God. So we got the who, that's the Lord. We have the why, because it's acceptable and it is upright and it's truth. Let's ask and answer a third question. What do these words accomplish? If I really become a Bible Christian, may I ask, are you a Bible Christian? No, wait a minute, before you, before you answer, are you really a Bible Christian? I'm not asking, are you a Christian? I asked a man just a moment ago in the hotel lobby, and the people there uh, getting food and getting drink, and, and this man was, was helping another man get a beer. And he came by and said a word to me, and uh, he thought, when he saw you today, he thought we were conducting business. And he said to me, he didn't know what he was asking, you know. He said to me, he said, did you, did you get that business deal done today that you all were working on? And I said, oh, I said, I'm a preacher. I wish you could have seen the look on his face. It was beautiful. I said, I was on a different kind of business today. And I said to him, are you a believer? Oh, yes, I'm a believer. I'm not asking tonight, do you say you're a Christian? I'm not asking tonight, do you have a Bible with you? How many of you got a Bible with you? Hold it up in the air just a second. Do you have a Bible with you tonight? That's good, good. wonder how many more you got at the house. I'm not asking, do you believe it's the Word of God? You know, it's funny. We can sit in church and the preacher wave the Bible and talk about the Bible and everybody wants to shout amen and then we don't crack it open again until next Sunday. When I say, are you a Bible Christian, I mean by that, are you allowing the word of the living God to do the work in you and in your home and in your business dealings and in your decisions every day that God wants to do? Because here's what it does. Look at verse number 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails. Would you mark goads and nails? <laughs> Those are two very different things. I love the object lessons of the Bible, don't you? Goads and nails. Now, they do have one thing in common. They're both sharp. 
And God's word is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. But please don't miss this. Do you understand the beautiful picture, the typology here of the goad and the nail? What does a goad do? A goad prods. It's what was used in that agricultural society when the farmer was trying to get that stubborn mule to move. When he's trying to get that cow to, to keep moving along. When he's trying to get that oxen to pull this plow, what would he do? He'd get him a stick that had a little point on the end. It was a goad, and he would goad him a little bit. Not to hurt him. He wasn't trying to kill him. If he wanted to kill him, he'd gotten something else. He's just trying to get him to move. Do you see Saul having his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. How would you like to hear that from heaven? And then the Lord Jesus said to him, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Did you know the word there, pricks, is the same word for goad? I love this thought. Jesus said, You know, Saul, I don't hate you. You hate me, but I don't hate you. In fact, I've been goading you a little bit the last few weeks. When Stephen died and he saw me standing at the right hand of the Father and cried out a testimony, you stood there, held the coats. I was goading you, boy. I was trying to prick your heart. When you've been studying the Old Testament Scriptures at the feet of Gamaliel, those are the Scriptures that testify of me. I was trying to goad your heart. You know, all these believers that you've come to hate and you're hunting them down, going to throw them in jail and kill them, they're my testimonies in this world. I've just been used to goad you a little bit. I'm not trying to hurt you, son. I'm trying to bring you to myself. And you know what you're doing? You're kicking against the pricks. How many of you know if an animal kicks against the goad, he's not hurting the farmer, he's hurting himself? You know what the Word of God does? It's powerful. The Word of God's amazing. The Word of God has a way of pricking the heart of a man like nothing else can. That's why, that's why I'm so convinced that we must have the preaching of the Word of God and I'm so dependent on the sufficiency of Scripture. See, I'm sorry, you don't need to hear jokes and funny stories and a whole bunch of illustrations tonight and me giving my philosophy and my ideas and my thoughts. and, and all. You don't need all that kind of thing. My Word will never change your life. But one word from the Word of God could change you forever because it goads you in God's general direction. So the Word pricks you a little bit. I wonder even right now, what's the Holy Spirit using the word to go, mm, ouch. Mm, mm, that hurt. What is the Holy Spirit goading you at this moment? You know, the amazing thing too about the word of God is I don't have to preach on everything. You know, when I first started evangelism, I had this idea, I had almost, almost like this mental checklist. You know, I've got to cover this and cover this and take care of this. And, and I finally figured out, number one, I don't know all the things. And number two, I can't speak to all the things. And this is the most amazing thing. Do you know what I do every week? I just get up and preach something from the Bible, give them God's Word, and the most amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit has a way of taking the Word of God and applying it to people in ways only He can do. Like, I never cease to be amazed. You can preach a whole message to Christians on prayer, and a lost sinner comes down the aisle and says, I need to be saved. You preach a whole message on witnessing, and somebody comes forward and said, I just got under conviction tonight. I haven't been baptized since I was saved. i got to get baptized today. Oh, look, that's not the preacher's doing. Whose doing is that? That's the Holy Spirit's work. And what is he doing? He's using the goad of the word. But then look at the second one. This is interesting to me. It's nails. I'm thinking how my grandpa, my granddaddy, 
One of them was a preacher. The other one was a farmer in the hills of West Virginia. He was a, he was a World War II vet. He was a coal miner. Those coal miners are a tough group. Do you know that? Now, he died in his late 80s with his tomato steaks in his hand on his way to this garden. And uh, he was a man's man, I'm telling you now. He was crawling through a coal mine one day, and a piece of coal fell and chopped half of his ear off. It's all right. He picked it up, crawled out of the mine, got in his car, drove himself to the hospital, handed it to a nurse and said, sew this back on. And they did. And they didn't clean it out good. They sewed a little grayish green line of coal dust into his earlobe. There the day he died. And as a boy growing up, I saw that line, and I thought, I want one of those. That's a man right there. That was... And Grandpa's the one who taught me to drive a nail. I remember the summer. He said, boy, we're going to build us another barn this summer. <laughs> and we meant he was going to build it and I was going to help a little bit, you know. I was the grunt. And I remember I didn't know how to drive a nail and I'm over here tapping around. And I'll never forget this. He came over, took that hammer out of my hand. He said, son, I'm going to teach you how to drive a nail. And you know what he did? He got it started just a little bit and then smooth, steady strokes. Not in a hurry. Just smooth, steady, consistent strokes. And then, when he thought it was in good, he hit it one more good time to set it. You know what the Word of God does? I love this. It fastens things down in your life. Look, the same Word that pricks you, fastens you. That's amazing. Look, it holds you where you ought to be, and it moves you where you ought to go. And it spurs you, and it sticks you right where you need to be. That's what the nails do. There's so much drift in our world today. There's so many families trying to figure it out. and So many churches wandering and so many Christians getting away from God. Somebody said, I don't want that to happen to my family. I don't want that to happen to my life. All right, then you get in the word of the living God and the word will fasten God's truth into your life. It will connect you to God. It will keep you full in an empty world. Let's ask another question. Would you write this one down? Where does the word lead us? See, it's not about the word itself. Don't miss this. It's not the word for the word's sake. It's the word for the Lord's sake. Everybody lift your head and look at me just a minute. You know what this is? This is not a book full of facts and figures and data and information. God forbid that that's all we do. Knowledge puffeth up. You know what this is? This is God's revelation of himself. You don't come to the word to know the word. You come to the word to know God. Would you look where the word leads you? Verse 12, further by these my son be admonished of making many books there's no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Isn't this interesting? He, well, here, here's what he's saying. He's saying the books in this world will drain you. How many of you have read and studied so much anything that after a while you were just spent? Would you raise your hand please? Some of you lived that dream today, didn't you? This is powerful. You ready for this? He said the world's books drain you. Oh, they fill your head with knowledge, but they just drain the life out of you. They just exhaust you. They just wear you out. Watch this. But God's book doesn't do that. God's book replenishes you. There's something wonderfully refreshing about it. Do you know why? Because it's bringing you into the presence of the God of the Word. Look at verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Do you know where the word leads us? The word leads us to God. It leads us to God. All these people that say they want to know God and never open their Bible, I say nonsense. If you want to know God, 
open the word. George Whitfield, the great preacher of the Great Awakening, said God has condescended to become an author. And most Christians will never even read the book he wrote. Wonder what God's thinking. I can tell you. Oh, I can't tell you everything God's thinking because he's infinite and unsearchable. We figured that out already this week. He's the eternal, everlasting God. But I can tell you a whole lot God's thinking because God wrote it down in black and white. Do you understand? You wouldn't know what I was thinking right now if you weren't listening to my words. I don't know what you're thinking right now unless you speak to me your word. We couldn't know what God is thinking unless God gave his word. So hallelujah, God gave us his words. And I wonder what kind of revival would break out if God's people got back to the word of God. Not a sermon to change your life, but a time every day where you get in tune with heaven and you hear the voice of God speaking to you through the pages of Holy Scripture. I tell you, look, it brings you to deity. It brings you to your own responsibility. It brings you to the ultimate accountability. Look at those closing verses. It brings you to God and it brings you to your response to God and it brings you to the ultimate judgment. That's what the Word does. Only the Word can cut through all the emotions and all the voices in your ear and all the things going on around in our culture. Only the Word can cut through all of that and bring you to what really matters in light of eternity. Only the Word can do that. So there's one more question. And I can't answer this one for you. You'll have to answer this one yourself. Look at your list. Who gives it? The Lord. Why does he do it? It's acceptable and upright and truth. And what do they accomplish? Well, they're nails and goads. They, they fasten things down and prod you forward. And where does it lead you ultimately? It leads you to God. But write down one more question. You'll have to fill in the answer to this when you get home tonight. Number five, when will we get serious about his word? When will God's people actually get serious about the Bible again? Do you remember when you first got saved? How many of you remember back when you first got saved? You remember when you first got your Bible? And you were so excited. You didn't understand it all. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't uh, pronounce half of the words. But you were learning. You were discovering. It was fresh. You remember as a new Christian, you'd come to church, and you've just found something in the Bible, and you, and you wanted to tell somebody. And when you started telling them, they said it was like it was old hat. They had known it forever, but it was new to you. You remember, don't you? What happened to that? Where's our hunger and thirst after God? Where's our passion for the Lord? Where is our show me now thy way that I may know thee? Where is our oh that I may know him and the power of his resurrection? Where? Where are the people who don't just want a good sermon or a nice service? They want to know God. Where are the people they will immerse themselves in Scripture and be Bible Christians and live with full hearts in an empty world. When will we get serious about the Word of God? Did you know in 13 minutes a day, 13 minutes a day you could read through your whole Bible in a year? 13 minutes. How many of you eat for 13 minutes a day? How many of you talk on the phone for 13 minutes a day? How many of you scroll internet or watch anything for 13 minutes a day? How many of you do nothing for 13 minutes a day? Imagine if 13 minutes every day we just said, you know, Lord, I just want to hear your voice. Speak to me, Lord. Just speak to me. 
See, I, I studied Ecclesiastes for years, and all I saw was the world, the world, the world, the world. And then one day, I came to chapter 12, and it just jumped off the page of me, and I realized, it's not about the world, it's about the words. Because only the words help you navigate the world. Only the words. P.P. Bliss was a man greatly used to the Lord. He was a music man for D.L. Moody for a period of time. He wrote tons of the hymns in this hymn book. I mean, a lot of them. Did you know he died about 90 miles from right here? About 90 miles from where we're sitting tonight. Ashtabula, Ohio. He and his wife had been at a, a gospel crusade and they were headed home after Christmas. It was pouring snow and the train was coming across the railroad trussle and so much weight, the trussle bucked beneath it and the train plummeted into a ravine and caught on fire, old wooden train cars. And P.P. Bliss got out and he turned around and realized his wife did not. He crawled back inside the train, found her, tried to extricate her, couldn't. And he said to his wife, they both were in their mid-30s, little children at home. He said to his wife, he said, if, if you're going to heaven, I'm going with you. And he sat down next to her, and both of them died in the fire that day. Would you take your hymn book out? I promise not to sing, all right? Would you find hymn 421? I've had this song on my mind today meditating on this passage. This is one of P.P. Bliss's songs. Look at hymn 421. This would be a good thing to hum as you go on your way tonight. At the bottom of the page, you'll see his name, Philip P. Bliss, P.P. Bliss. Here's what he wrote. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty, teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Would you look up here just a minute? This is it, this is it. Wonderful words of life. And isn't it funny when you get near the end, people want their Bible. I've been with people in the hospital and homes. Get near the end. You know what they want? They want their Bible. They either want their Bible that they can read or they want somebody to sit and read them the Bible. wonder why that is. Did you know Paul did that? In a Mamertine prison, near in the end, wrote his last letter. Read 2 Timothy. At the end of 2 Timothy, he says to Timothy, he said, now look, Timothy, when you come, try to come before winter. It's cold here. He said, I need you to bring me a coat. That's something for his body. I need you to bring me the books. Of making many books, there's no end, you know. Something from my mind. But he said, when you come, when you're packing, if you forget everything, if you don't have room for anything else, especially, it's in your Bible, especially, bring the parchments. You know what was written on the parchments? Wonderful words of life. You get to the end of your Bible, all the way to Revelation. You know how Revelation starts, the last book? Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear, and they that keep the words of this prophecy. Almost like the closer you get to the second coming of Jesus, the more the scripture ought to mean to us. 
Can I ask you a question? Why do you think it is that the Bible so often sold and so popular to be purchased is so sorely neglected? Wouldn't you think people living on the edge of eternity getting ready to see Jesus might want to know what God had to say in his book? And I say to you, don't wait for the world to do that. God's people must begin. Because God's made a way. We can have full hearts and empty world. If this Bible message has been used of God in your life, or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit. And don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.